Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. Welcome to Absurdity with Ryan Becker. All right, we are back. Absurdity has returned. It is Monday at noon, but in reality, it's a Wednesday at 530. Um, so, uh, or it's whatever time you're listening to this. That is also true. Uh, Tony, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing, uh, I'm doing really good. Like, I really thought my allergies were going to hit this spring, and they haven't yet. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Like, I'm really, really happy. Tomorrow's that, gonna be terrible for you. Yeah, I just yeah, I just jumped the shark, but like yeah, no, I'm I'm really I'm really I'm really happy about that because normally my allergies are horrific. Um, I was living in Houston for a while, and like the first year I was there was just just awful. Just like I was sick all the time. I couldn't. I was constantly doing it, and I figured out like later on they're like, oh, it's the cypress trees or something like that. But I just had a bunch of local honey and kind of did it the homeopathic way which took a long time, um, but was cheaper and didn't involve me having to go to a doctor. So I suffered. But yeah, up here, it's fine, which is odd because my brother's, I think there's like a lot of, the water here is very hard, got a lot of minerals. So I think he's kind of reacting bad to it and I'm not. The irony of life. The one thing that I was blessed with out of all the medical dumb issues that I have, like asthma and allergies to dogs and cats and Things like that. Like the one thing that I'm super blessed by is that I do not have environmental allergies like yeah. at all. It's so glorious because everyone else complains about it. I'm like, I'm totally fine. Yeah. Um, maybe that's because I'm so stopped up from my dog and cat allergies. You that can't literally tell. nothing you, else. Nothing else can get in. Your whole. I've had hay fever my. I okay, but but being honest, I had hay fever the entire first 18 years of my life. We had dogs and cats. Like growing up, at one point we had uh, four dogs and five cats in the house. And, um, and we always just thought my asthma was terrible and I always had like some nasal issues or whatever. And yeah. I, to some extent do, I have chronic rhinitis actually. Um, it's just not like nearly as severe now that I have my allergies under control, but I didn't know what breathing through my nose was like until I went to college. 
I don't know whether that's sad or no. It made the sad. it made the it's dentist it made the dentist hell on earth because oh, I couldn't sure. breathe. Oh, I'm sure you yeah. can't breathe. Like what? Yeah. What am I supposed to do? I literally no, can't I had, breathe. I had the same thing. I had um, a deviated septum and bone spurs and all the kind of stuff. So I was the same way. In addition to hay fever and uh, and bad allergies and asthma, a little bit of asthma too. You, you can't grow up in L.A. Everyone has asthma there. Just just yeah. know that anyone in that city has asthma from the smog. Um, <laughs> It's just a part of living. Like <gasps> I can taste the air. Um, but like legit, like I had to have surgery for my, for like wow. my nose and readjust everything. And afterwards I'm like, what? You can get air in here. So yeah, like I totally feel you. Cause when you like run and stuff, like that was the only time when you get like adrenaline kick, like that was the only time. And if you were stopped up and like running or like had to do something where you breathe through your nose, that was the worst. Yeah. They're like, oh, I'll stick. I'll we'll do a plastic mask. You just breathe through your nose. I'm like, no, I'm going to die if you do this plaster mask on my face. Mm. That, no, that's like my my nose. Like my nasal issues have been one of the biggest sources of self conscious like of, of uh, insecurity for me because um, so much of my life revolves around public speaking. Yeah. Uh, and it has for years. And in high school, it was especially bad, you know, not being able to say my M's and B and, and N's and um, things like that. Like even sometimes it still happens and I always feel terrible when it does. Even there's episodes on this podcast that I like hate, absolutely hate because that's the case. You can hear I, it. Yeah. Um, and it's super frustrating for me. Like it's super ins- like it's a huge insecurity for me. I'm really glad no one is like messaged in to write about it. That's like the one thing Now they will. Because, well, it's a, yeah, now they will, but it's a part of my life. Like I can't, there's not a whole lot I can do about it. Yeah. Um, which which sucks. It's just like my life revolves around speaking and I can't even speak appropriately. I can't enunciate correctly because of it. I've only known you since you came to college, but I remember when we went back the year, um, it was either Thanksgiving break or when you were working as a task force worker, I remember going back and hearing you there. And I was like, who are you? Like what? Yeah. Like you sounded completely different. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> like what is that? Uh, but the food was worth it. So like, I did not sound like Bill Cosby. Just so we're like a hundred percent clear. Was that who I sounded like? Yes. Yeah. You oh. channeled like heavily. You channeled Bill Cosby. Oh, just that's now. crazy. Uh, that's what you do sound but, like. But don't judge my experience. I know my truth. <laughs> Um, I, it, but that's yes, the most are, millennial phrase I've ever said. Yes, but that's you're right. I sounded way different being at home, and that was yeah. when I still lived on campus at FLA. And yeah, was, that wasn't even that like wasn't in even, your house. I remember yeah, you that was saying a, like, oh, I can't. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, better. if I go home, I can't. Like if I go back to Orlando, I don't stay at home. I couch surf because I yeah. literally cannot stay at home yeah. from all the dander and 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 animal stuff there. It's just kind of accepted. I've been couch surfing since I was eighteen. Which again is ironic that you own a dog, but that she's sheds a short hair. like crazy. Yeah, she sheds so much. She's right now just laying on her dog bed, panting. Like she's she's complete. It's like she's asleep but panting. Um, this is just what she does. She's not sick. I promise. Do, don't, do corgis no one freak out? <laughs> now she's licking her bed just aimlessly. Yeah, I love my dog. Corgis shed like crazy. Um, but oh, but dog dog allergies are breed specific. They're not like so. If you're allergic yeah, to cats, thought, you're allergic yeah. to all cats. all cats. If you're allergic. To dogs, specific breeds, specific which means breeds. a hypoallergenic breed may not actually, you could still be allergic to that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's a matter of like, that's why for me, getting a dog at a rescue doesn't work because I can't actually see how I interact with that dog and how my allergies respond because at a rescue, at a shelter, there's all these different breeds that are present. Yep. So, um, so you really inevitably you come home and you're like, this was horrible. 
Yeah. I literally, that happened. I got a dog and a month later I had to give it up um, yeah. because I was literally waking up at night and I couldn't breathe. I was fighting. Like I was actually gasping for air. Yeah. And I was like, I can't wait until allergy shots kick in six months down the line for this yeah. to work. Yeah. So I founded a new home and um, ended up. Is before that what I got, they call it now? Yeah. Um, before I, that was he, so on a like special dark. farm. That was so dark. That was the darkest joke that's been made on this podcast. We're going to restart. Um, <laughs> no, uh, the, w- before I got sugar, I put yeah. out a, I went to the neighbor app or I think it's called the neighbor app on my iPhone. And I just posted, I was like, Hey, does anyone in Rock Hill, South Carolina own a Corgi that I can just sit with for like an hour or two? Um, and someone responded and I went to their house and I met their family and I sat in their living room with their Corgi for like an hour just to see if I would die. Yeah. Turns out I didn't. And, uh, that's when I knew I could get a Corgi and yeah, my life's been great. Best. I take an allergy pill every day and some nasal spray, but I did allergy shots for like six months and, um, like I'm fine. I'm, yeah. that is what it is. I'm Best totally fine. Best story ever. <laughs> he just for came real. in and sat. We uh, thought it was so going nice. to be a weird thing, but he just sat there with the yeah. dog for an hour. Cool. He really did. Yeah, cool people. All right, let's jump into today's topic because let's we're like, we've, we've, we've 10 minutes of this is gone now too, uh, talking about allergies, but um, let's talk is about failure. Um, let's, so we've already failed to introduce this topic in a timely manner. Uh, so let's talk so about meta. failure. So uh, Tony, you yeah. kind of came to me with this idea. So um, I want um, you to kind of lead this conversation. But, um, you know, for you, what, what do you define as failure? Yeah, like that, that was my first big thing is, is we kind of talked about this. The idea actually sprang from one of our previous episodes. I don't remember which one. Um, but we talked about like this idea that, you know, fear of failure and, and I, it just got me thinking like, what is failure? Um, and so for me, failure is a combination of things, um, by like the, the straight kind of dictionary definition is, um, the, the, uh, um, Oh man, and I just read it. Brain, turn on the the uh, not meeting um, or fulfilling of goals mm. um, to where there's a, a goal set and um, it is not met um, for whatever reason, and that that is kind of defined as failure. But for me, I think it goes a little deeper than that because I think even if you don't hit your goals, you can still have success. I think to me, it's a combination of not meeting your goals um, because of personal um, either either quitting or lack of effort Mm. um so basically you you fail when you never try or you don't give it enough um so what would you you what what would you define as enough like for instance um we all set our our new year's resolutions right and so we always set like oh i'm gonna like for me my new year's resolution and it's such a cliche but i want to lose 25 pounds next year is my 10-year high school reunion um, and I just want to be in better shape, but it's like a motivational tool is to be like, all right, I, I don't want to show up to my 23 reunion, you know, at 240. I want to be in the 220s, like at least, you know, down to a manageable weight. And then beyond that, it's like, I want to get rid of these bad habits. And so for me, I've already failed at it because I have not put forth effort to, to, I've like, I've not done anything for, for a variety of reasons. Um, but I basically like, I was super healthy for like four months. And then around April, just the stress of trying to get all these different things done, I'm a stress eater. And so, like, I started eating out a ton. 
Mm. Um, I gained back like the eight pounds that I'd lost. Um, my schedule was crazy. So I stopped sleeping well. Um, I started going to bed super late. Um, I started eating super late. I started eating out a lot, which in this area of Michigan is mostly like Taco Bell and McDonald's. So for me, that that's a failure. That's a failure. Another one would be that I start a project and then I get the idea for it, but then I go, ah, oh, well, I've, I, I don't think that's going to have success. And I quit before mm. I ever get started. Those are failures. For me, I look at that and I go, I failed. Now, so enough is whatever you define as enough. And that's exactly it. If I continued to my goal, even if I did not meet my goal of 25 pounds, but I stuck a whole year out, like a legit year of going yeah. hard or six months or whatever of going hard, um, then yes, that to me would be a, a, a success. Even if I didn't reach my goal weight, even okay. if I didn't do whatever, um, the fact that I continued and I put forth the effort that was required and I did not quit or back out, that that to me is, is, is success. So then I think failure then and success uh, are kind of along the same lines as kind of we concluded about boundaries last week, which is that... Um, they're largely subjective. Like what failure is for you um, is kind of defined yeah. by whatever you set as your goals and whatever you define as success for yourself. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, it's a little bit more objective, but yeah, to a degree yeah. it is. Cause well, you can okay. also say like our, you know, our objective is to win this war and we failed to do that. Like there's a, at the end of the day, sometimes there is a very distinct, like, no, you did not, you know, beat this level or, um, you didn't hit this, but to a to a sometimes there like, are external yeah external yeah. setters of, of 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 those finish lines yeah. for sure yeah like my dad always says and he's he he hates this but he's like there's no such thing as a moral victory and in my head I'm like no there there actually is like there is a moral victory um, there are things where it's like you know what I actually gave my best I put forth the best effort I could that's a success whether or not I met that goal. But but for some things, it's like, yeah, no, you did not. Like, if I'm trying to jump from one side of a cliff to the other and I don't make it, well, giving the best effort <laughs> is not going to get me on the other side. So it's like, yeah, some things it's more objective um, with than, than with boundaries. But, yeah, like to, to a lesser degree, it's like, okay, I jumped. That's a success. The fact that I took that leap, whether or not I made it to the other side, that is a success. Um, I did not get to the other side, so that sense it was a failure. But but staying on my side, on the on the you know the safe side, and not leaping, that's a failure. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Um, and how how would you define it? I mean, uh, largely the same way. I but I also I, I guess I think of this. Me. I think of this kind of on the organizational level as well. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I, I think for me, failure, failure is not when something doesn't go as you planned. Failure is not when, you know, no one shows up to your event or failure is not when, um, failure is not when you make a mistake, right? So failure is not when you try to jump to the other side of a gap and you fail, like, and you, and you, and you, and you miss or you don't right. make it. Yeah. All. You don't make it. In, yeah. Failure is when you, is when you look at those mistakes or you look at the times that you fell short and you refuse to ask or ask yourself or learn from those mistakes and ask yourself, where, where did I go wrong? What do I need to do differently? I think failure is, um, I think failure, uh, comes or failure is defined by there being no growth for me. 
failure is defined as a lack of growth because I don't think anything fail. I mean, I guess from an objective like metrics standpoint, sure, you can fail in in that sense. Oh, we needed X amount of people here, or I needed to to jump this uh, for this to happen, right? And sometimes there are no second chances. Um, but I think failure happens when you refuse to learn from a mistake. Um, so for me, failure is more of a complete thing. Um, and obviously, you know, if I learn from a mistake or if I, if I refuse to learn from a mistake, but then five years later, finally decide to learn from it, then I haven't failed. Um, I may have been failing for five years, but up until the point that, uh, you know, I can, up, up until, not up until, I don't want to say this. Once you decide to learn from your mistakes, you are not failing anymore. That's, that's for me, how I kind of define it. Um, so that, that, that's where I land. And I, part of that is because I think of it from the organizational yeah. standpoint. Well, like, are you type A or type B personality wise? I have no idea. I genuinely don't. <laughs> we've got to, we've got to figure that, that I think that's, that'll be our Patreon or Patreon. I don't, Patreon that'll be our episode is like, we'll talk about our personalities and stuff. Yeah. Um, I know I'm a type B, I'm Myers-Briggs, ENFP personality. I'm an English major, artsy guy. I know that. What me. are you? E-E-N-F-P? E-N-F-P. Yeah. We are so close to hating each other. How are we? For, I'm an I, I. I'm an INTJ. You know what's funny though is direct opposites don't hate each other because they they value the other things. They're like, oh, no, I don't value you at all. Oh well, yeah, I, I actually know that. hate you. But that's that's me personally. <laughs> that's not my personality. Um, but that's the funny thing is that, um, like for me, I know that that's a very English, artsy, you know, like. For mathematical people out there and for like thinkers, like there is an objective, like for somebody who's a, an accountant, there is failure. And so like there is a defined failure, like yeah. for engineers and everyone, like there is a failure. But I think when you back up from that, um, we're more right. And that's the most important thing. And they need to acknowledge that they're wrong and that math is evil. Um, that's all I'm trying to say, Becker. That's all that I am trying to express in my life is that they are wrong and math is evil. No. Um, what, what I'm trying to explain with that is that that objective idea of failure, while it is accurate, a lot of times um, it can cause a lot of problems. And this is why I think we need to kind of change our mentality up with it. Um, because the reality is like when you have that objective type of, of this is failure and success, um, it breeds a fear of not being good enough. Um, so, like, okay, why do you think as a society and as humans we fear failure so much? Because we do. I mean, if we if 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 someone else is like, I'm not afraid of failure, you're lying to yourself. And that's a different podcast episode. Now we're getting lying all kinds yourself. of good ones. Yeah. Lying to yourself. Write it down. Um, no, I... <laughs> type, so Type. I... Um, I think we're afraid of failure because we attach a lot of our self-worth or our value to success. Um, and so if we fail, then we're saying that then ultimately it becomes a reflection of ourselves. And if we're not careful, um, with, with, with that line, then it also leads us into shame. It leads us into self-loathing. Um, it leads us into low self-worth or self-value because we, we value what ends up happening because Ultimately, failure and success, especially if they're not if they, if they're more objectively defined. Um, so when I say objectively defined, I mean like if you're a kid growing up, then your failure and your success is largely end up de- defined by your parents or by your teachers 
um, because you have to meet someone else's expectations. And if you don't meet those expectations, then you learn that you aren't good enough. Um, you're, you're kind of implicitly taught that. And so I think we have a huge fear of failure because, A, we don't want to let people down. But, B, we don't want to let ourselves down. And suddenly yeah. it, it becomes a reflection of, of how you think about yourself, especially if a lot of it is tied to your idea of success. That's how I feel. I don't know if you disagree. You're allowed to disagree with me once again. No, I'm, I'm, I think you hit it on the head. Um, I will totally disagree with you. Uh, and you are wrong. <laughs> um, like I did to math people. Like I said, you guys are wrong. Math is evil. Um, I want a t-shirt of that now. Now I like want like a, like just a black T with that in white. Sorry. It is your moment. Um, yeah, I think, I think you hit it on. I think our value, our self-worth comes a lot from what is a perceived success. And I think that a lot of times that's put on us from society and even from our families and that pressure is put on us, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Like, I think you kind of have to push people to try harder. Um, there's nothing wrong with that to, to a degree. But when you tie your your value to it, I think that's the problem. You know, you can push people to have more success, to put more effort in. But I think it's when you tie it into value. Like, for instance... Um, a lot of times you'll see this with sport athletes um, where their parents push them so hard to, or, yeah, yeah, or, or yeah. celebrities. I mean, any celebrity, anybody who, who does something so well, you can tell that it, they have devoted an unhealthy amount of time and energy into it. Um, your Michael Jackson's and your Tiger Woods, um, you know, name any, you know, football, baseball star you know, uh, uh, Olympic athletes. Oh my gosh. Olympic athletes. Um, and a lot of that's also self-imposed where they, they're like, I'm really good at this. This is something I'm really good at. Therefore I'm going to keep going and push it. Um, because I can have success because I, I love to do this thing. But a lot of times we'll get that from parents, you know, a lot of times you'll get that, that pressure to be good and to push it, um, comes from, from, from parents and external sources and they end up becoming stunted as emotional individuals because of that. And because their so forth is only tied into what they can do. So, I mean, why do you think so many celebrities get plastic surgery? You know, because we assign, and, and I subconsciously do this a lot where I'm like, wow, they look great for their age. And then I'm like, well, who cares? Like, are they involved in charity are they helping people out? Are they a horrible person? Because if you're 65 and look fantastic, that's great. Um, but if you are horrible and treat people horribly and you know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter. You could be 25, 35, 85 and look amazing. It doesn't matter if you don't, you know what I mean? If you're a horrible person. Yeah. Um, and Matthew, well, I think, yeah. Well, I think to fear of failure is not always a bad thing. Like it motivates right, yeah. us to do our best. You know, I think there's also the fear of failure that comes from, from, um, from high stakes from external sources, right? So my job as a pastor, um, there are certain successes, there are certain metrics I need to meet. And my fear of failing um, is exists because if I fail, right, yeah. I lose my job, I lose my livelihood, I lose health insurance, I can't pay for my, you know, I can't pay to eat. 
Um, I can't pay to take care of my dog. That's really more what I care about is sugar. uh, I don't care about you, but that's all anyone sugar needs to take Um, care of. But I think so. I think there's a healthy fear of failure that says like the stakes are high. I know what they are, and I need to make sure I don't fail. Absolutely. Um, So I, in in that respect, I think fear can go two ways. I think it can go that that fear can drive us to either be paralyzed and to not move, or it can drive us to overcome it. And, and and motivate us to push forward. And so I think I think there's that that kind of dualistic idea of what fear or how our fear of failure will drive us forward or either paralyze us or affect our yeah. our bodies. And I think that so. that's it's important for us to distinguish between that. And and I think you brought up a really good point too where like you can learn more lessons. I've always felt that you can learn more from your failures than you do from your successes. At least I've found that to be true in my yeah. life where like if something goes wrong, I can pick apart why it went wrong and why it went right. But a lot of times when something just succeeds, I have no idea why it worked. We need a programmer or a coder on this podcast right yeah. now. No, like legit. <laughs> you, just, you just described coding like to a T. Yeah. yeah. Like, and, and, and that's the problem with binary language or that's the awesome thing about binary language is that a lot of times something works and they're like, uh we don't know why or how, <laughs> but it's working. But when you fail, you're like, Oh, this went out, rewrite this code. This went out, rewrite this. Um, engineers get this a lot. And that's the funny thing also is when you actually, I joke about math people not having that, but the reality is if you get far enough into math, it becomes so theoretical that success is subjective. Like it yeah. does become like this kind of like, well, we didn't reach our goal, but check it out. We found, you know, how to, you know, move faster than light um, or whatever. I'm assuming that's how Star Trek uh, arrives. Happened, yeah, um, clearly. Because it was this, you know, we were trying to find a, a cure for gallbladder uh, or, or gout, and we ended up with faster than light travel. Um, that sounds about right. Yeah, something, something. You know, fun fact, did you know that Spock was originally supposed to be from Mars? And they changed his species and what planet he was from because they were worried that we would actually put a person on Mars and discover something different to be true about Mars um, during the run of Star Trek. Like, they thought that that was close enough. That, that was close enough? Wow, they were yeah. way off. Um, yeah. <laughs> we, for, for, <laughs> we don't want to get also, sued, so let's uh, let's make it Vulcan or something, because the Martian yeah, lawyers are probably good. Mar- they're, they're probably got their stuff together. We don't want to yeah. overstep. The barrister bounds. Um, yeah, some of their greatest successes have come from failure, though. And that's straight that's up. The like reality. It's... I mean, like, you'll see this a lot also. I had a, a chemistry professor in high school who she worked for a large, can, can we say companies on this? If we're I not, think, yeah. okay, she worked yeah. for Pfizer um, for a long time, like the big one, like Pfizer's okay. <laughs> the big one. And um, she was talking about how, like, so many of the prescriptions that help us out in our daily life. Um, and are helpful. Like they were, they were trying to get like the majority of them, they were trying to get something else. And they happened to like one of the quote unquote side effects of this was like, Oh, um, like uh, a lot of the antidepressants that we have today, um, they were created trying to find something else. And they found that uh, one of the big ones, and I can't remember what it was like either Prozac or um, Valium or something like that. Um, it was, meant to be something completely different. And then when they gave it to these mice um, and they shocked them under the cage, like a, like a small one, it wasn't like bad apparently, um, they found that the mice didn't care. They were like, eh, 
like the mice were like, ow. Uh, like they didn't react to it like normal people are, and they're like, this is weird. And so they kept trying it and they found, oh, this like does a really good job of balancing out like this particular um, chemi- chemical in the brain. And like those types of things, it was because of abject failure that all of a sudden they found this amazing thing that happened. And I'm not saying that antidepressants are amazing or not amazing. The point is that, you know, failure oftentimes brings us a lot. There's a story of a, a an ancient pharaoh, and I want to say it was Khufu, who who had the um, the pyramids, uh, the Great Pyramid of of Giza. I want to say that was him. Um, I'm an archaeologist. I should know this. I should know the story. But anyway, the story is told that one of the pharaohs, and and one of the big ones, um, the reason why he was able to accomplish so much in his reign is because he punished mediocre success and rewarded fantastic failure. Like if you shot for this huge thing and failed, he was like, that's awesome. Keep trying. And if you were like, look, I kind of did this. He's like, wow, you're fired. But I got this. And he's like, it doesn't matter. Like you're not like you're like I want to see something spectacular, even if it's spectacularly wrong. Like that's yeah, that's what is rewarding. And I thought that's such a good that's such an amazing countercultural idea, because here even mediocre success is rewarded to a sense like. You can be completely mediocre. Um, the U.S. soccer team uh, isn't going to the World Cup this year. We're dating ourselves. But Thank that's okay. you for that. Thank you for that and, reminder. And I didn't need that reminder tonight. No, trust, trust me, trust me. It's this is what we're getting you, at. And Taylor Twelman got you off on this podcast. <laughs> he got on and he had a great statement where he goes, "We re, we reward mediocrity in this country." And he goes, "Look at the major sports. They if they don't think they're going to win." They will lose on purpose because they will look to the next year because they don't they don't get punished for mediocrity. We reward it. We'd say, okay, well then you get the first pick. You get the best new player coming up. You get, you know, this, that, and the other. Like we reward mediocrity instead of around the world in in soccer leagues and football leagues, there's uh relegation and um promotion where basically if you stink, you go to the minor leagues. Like if you are not up to snuff. You are punished for that, and it means jobs. Like it's a significant loss in income. And he goes, you know, how many teams this year? And the and he goes, the problem is we we don't we reward mediocrity in this country. And I thought about that, and I go, man, that's so true. We do, like, outside of some very specific places, like we reward mediocre uh, mediocrity a lot. Um, in the church, I think we do this a lot too. We're okay with certain mediocre successes, but if someone tries really hard, even if it fails and they learn a ton from it, we're like, well, that didn't work. I think of a particular ministry you and I had that I think is awesome. Um, am I allowed to say this one? Yes, you're allowed to say Okay, that. Unite Ministries, which I think is still, it's not a failure yet. We, we're still learning. I still have all the assets. We're still, we're going still to. all the design amazing. assets. Um, but like we put so much time and effort into it and we learned a lot. Like I learned a lot uh when we did it together, I know you learned a ton, um, but it did get support, the support of us because of that failure, because we were not able to meet certain goals and different for different reasons. But I've seen that so many other times where, yes, other ministries will have mediocre success and they'll get rewarded because it's like, well, okay, yeah, you did this much, but you met your mediocre goals. And I'm not saying that to, to be like bitter or be like, how come my thing didn't work? But I see a disturbing trend in a lot of our churches where we're okay with that. We're okay with mediocre mini- mediocre ministries 
because we don't want to try something new and amazing because it might fail. The old ways are the, you know, these ways have had success before. And it's like, yeah, but that success is dwindling and it's mediocre. Yeah. Why not try something that could fail fantastically? I don't know. What yeah. do you think, man? I. So there's a struggle, too, because at least within the realm of ministry, you're not operating with money. You're not operating off of profit. You're operating off of donation. Yeah. And there's there's a certain amount of, of ethical obligation you have to ensure that whatever you're going to do is going to work. So there's a fear of failure simply because of the accusation that you are misusing God's funds or, you know what I mean? Like, like you're, you're, you're misusing or abusing your power, your, um, and you're wasting money that people have given of their own free volition to do this or, or, or for you to use it for a very specific purpose. Right. So like, um, and, and it's, it's, it's different with like a company with a company it's profit and they paid for a product and they've already received yeah. their product. Right. If I pay you $4 for a cup of coffee at Starbucks, then I've received my product and whatever you do with that $4, I don't care. You can get um, a coffee for $4, but, but with, um, somewhere in the world, I'm sure. I'm sure. Right. Um, but if, if I, with the church, it's an ongoing investment and I, the second I give 10% of my income, right. Then I'm I'm not receiving anything immediately from that. What I'm receiving will come in the future, and I may not actually even see the return on that investment yeah. physically because maybe that tithe money goes to a different church that I never interact with or I never meet someone from. You know what I mean? Like like I may not see where that money goes, and so there it, it's scary because to to fail fantastically um, means that everyone on board has to have some sort of understanding um, of what you're trying to do and some sort of patience. Um, one of the greatest things that happened to me when I first came into my district, uh, my churches was they acknowledged that this is my first district. And so there have been times where I've failed. Um, and they've been patient with me because they knew I was trying objectively Um, or subjectively. Yes. (laughs) There were times where I failed them and there were times where I failed myself. Okay. That's fair. Um, and I've owned up to it every time and said, look, I failed here, or this was a failure on my part, whatever. And I'm sorry. And I've apologized every time that it's happened that I know of. Um, but they, they have in, they, they've had an issue in the past because other pastors don't have that same understanding. And so when I came in as the new guy, um, they, it's not like I was a totally inept and didn't know what I was doing. I went to school to do like, I'm not. You've, <laughs> Not you've a had some experience. Moron. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but st- still, like, they had the understanding that I was learning and they were learning from me. And it's given them a spirit of patience that they didn't have before. Um, so, without, but without that common understanding, then my first failures, people would have been calling for my head. And I know several pastors personally, like friends of mine, who they fail once and, you know, they mess up in a conversation. They imply something they didn't, they didn't mean to imply or, you know, something gets spread, misinformation gets spread, whatever. And people are calling the conference saying, oh, we need a, we want a new pastor. We want this guy fired. Yeah. Um, and I know of one guy who went into his church and the very first day he was in his church, a young adult sat him down and said, we're going to get you fired. Like, we're going to look for ways to get you fired. How's that for a fear of failure? Knowing that from the get go, they're not willing to work with you. Yeah. Like that's, that's hard. So from an organizational standpoint, from a ministry standpoint, it's hard because I do want to see us try new things and fail, but then we do open ourselves up to the criticism of, well, you um, you're wasting yeah. money, you you're tried wasting new time. Things. Yeah. 
These are, yeah. So it's, and that's why everyone gets so dug into the old ways that worked because they've been proven, even if they're not being proven anymore. <laughs> you know, but that's neither here nor there. So, well, okay, um, so then how do we respond to that failure when it does happen? Um, when when own men it. do get... Own it. Own it? What is own that? Own it. If you don't... Un- unpack like, that. Uh, what? Can you unpack... It feels like such NPR right now. Oh, Can you unpack that for us, Ryan? Um, look, if you're unwilling to own a mistake, it shows pride and it shows that you are willing to cover something up to make yourself look good. Mm. By owning your mistake, you are inherently saying, I value you enough to be honest with you when I haven't met your standards or when I haven't met the standards that we've met, that we've made as an organization. And I value you enough and I trust you enough um, to be honest about this and have faith that you aren't going to kick me to the curb for having tried and failed. Um, That's, that's, that's what that says to me. And transparency also says to me and owning it also says that you're not trying to hide something. Um, you're, you're, you're willing, you respect me as an individual. So I do think owning it is important. And the other thing that's really important too is before you fail and before you set out to try that thing, you communicate that it might fail. <laughs> um, and you have to communicate and you have to have a clear understanding with your organization of, um, what are the failures? Like, so my church is 20 people, 30 people, you know, not, not, not very big, 20 to 40 people on any given Sabbath, right? That means Sabbath schools. If I were to have multiple Sabbath school classes, um, you'd see like two or three people sitting in a room. Congratulations, that's Sabbath school. And they'd say, you know, if I get five people in a Sabbath school room, they say, wow, that's not that many people. Like no one's interested in this. Well, no, 20% of your church showed up. Yeah. Like that's big. Yeah. If you had a Sabbath school class in a in a in a thousand member church and twenty percent showed up, that's two hundred people. Like, t- and, and we'd be thrilled at yeah. that twenty percent. It's a little relative. So yeah. So you you have to define failure before you embark on the journey. What constitutes as failure here, um, as as far as you can. Yeah. Um, and you have to redefine what success means. Yeah. What if success isn't baptizing a whole bunch of people? What if a what if the success of our church and our community is that we meet the needs of the community? What if that's success? What if it's what if success is just that we've kind of changed the reputation that Christians have in this town Boom. or this city Boom. or this neighborhood? What if that's the success? No. Uh, what if our success is just to create a place where kids can come play because we built a playground? Okay, cool. Like success needs to be clearly defined, but so does failure. Failure needs to be clearly defined before, and when it happens, we need to own it and acknowledge it, and um, and really lean into it and understand like, yeah, we failed. What do we do next? I think that's so hard giving up the ego to admit that. Um, I had an instance when I was, I was working, one of my young adults came up and I, I dropped the ball. It came to a, it was a camp out and I was planning so hard. Um, I knew that my time was running short uh, with the, in this church and I was planning so hard on this big planning session. Like I legit took three months to, to prepare for this planning session. Wow. And it was going to be a whole weekend thing. Uh, we worked on campus ministries at Southern together. They had this whole like uh, retreat that they did. Yeah. I was trying to do a mini version of that. And um, because of that, I dropped the ball in planning this camp out and I felt really bad. 
Um, but in my head, it's like, well, it's just a camp out. You know what I mean? Like it's, we have other ones, like it's not that big a deal in my head. Um, and one of my young adults came up and she, she had been very, she, she, things had changed and I hadn't noticed, like, I didn't know why I hadn't put two, two together. Of course now, you know, like saying with the camp out now you kind of get why, but at the time I hadn't, you know, in my head, I didn't know what was up. So I went to her and she mentioned to me how she was very angry. She felt like, you know, her, her, uh, uh, I had let her down because she was the one who was in charge of this camp out and I had dropped the ball with it. Um, but she was in charge of a bunch of other things. And so she felt like she looked like a fool. Um, and I had, I had brought, so I had brought dishonor upon the family, but I had to let her down, you know, um, and I, I totally owned up to it, and I go, thank you so much for telling me. I apologize with that. I've been so focused on this thing that I didn't even realize that this was bothering you. I am I am truly sorry about that. Like, I, I this is the last thing I would want. You guys, you know, her and her husband worked so hard in, in this youth and young adult group. Um, and they would drive, like, an hour to come to stuff because they lived in Houston, and we were up here. And I, just, I go, I, the last thing I wanted was to not support you. I just... I dropped the ball. You know, I didn't give excuses for it. I, I told her why like I explained what happened, but I said, this is not, it's, it's not an excuse. It's not a valid reason. It's just an explanation. And it made a huge difference, but I had to drop, I call it licking the earth. Like I had to get down and just like every, every accusation I went lower. I was like, yep, 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 yep. Nope. I'm in the wrong here. And I want to make sure that, you know, but from that failure, and this is what's interesting we had the great success because we were able then, and this is what's interesting is we had a much more open relationship from that point on. She really felt like she could come to me with anything because I handled that criticism so well. Like she came with a bunch of other stuff and I ended up, you know, being able to minister to her and her husband a lot more because there was always this kind of guarded, feeling beforehand because I'm, you know, a pastor, even though I'm associate or whatever, there was always this, like, we can't criticize him because of the culture she grew up in. So it was interesting. Like you're saying, you know, when you check that ego, which is difficult, it's hard because my first instinct was to get defensive and be like, you didn't ask me if I wanted to help out with this camp out. I'm not good at organizing camp outs. Like none of this was, you know, you just kind of said, do this thing. And I, and I had kind of already said that I was, I didn't get defensive. I just let it happen. But that is so hard because that is one example. And I have another 10 of times I did not react well. <laughs> and, but you learn, you know, you learn from those mistakes. Um, it just requires that checking of the ego, which is the hardest thing. Like that's that's got to be the hardest thing to do for all of humanity is just to put that that ego aside, the pride aside and be like, this is bigger than me. Yeah. This is this is like I said, you know, a lot of things in life. Are those like, this is, it's time to put on your big boy, your big bro pants, you know, like you have to step into the super mature role because kids never own up to a mistake. You know what I mean? Like it's so hard for a kid to check the ego side and be like, how did this person feel? Like if you see it in a child, you're like, wow, that's amazing because most kids are very, you know, egocentric. And as an adult, you kind of have to put that aside and be like, let me check, check, check myself, um, put the ego aside stand down and admit I did wrong. How can we move on from this? How can I, how can I, you know, 
learn from this situation. Um, and I had a lot of failure in that church, man. Like, oh my gosh. I tried like 18 things the first year and a half I was there and not a single one worked out. Like literally not a single one worked out. Um, but I would not at all consider that time a failure. Like even though those 18 things did not work out, I learned so much from them. And, but it took, it took ego because once I moved myself out of the way, I was like, okay, why didn't this work out? Did I not, what, you know, and, and eventually you, you begin to figure out what's going on, you know, like Friday night, I tried to get a Vespers. This church had, had nothing going on during the week. So I was like, all right, well, let's do a Vespers Friday night. Like I always grew up having something on Friday night. There was always something on Friday night. Like every church had something on Friday nights. Um, and you went to some places, it was more of a worship, you know, actual worship service. Other places, it was more of a Bible study. Other places, it was more of a game night. And um, so you always had something. And I tried to do it here. And I just found out that Friday nights at this church were family time. And they did not want to come together. Like nobody wanted to come together on Friday nights. And it just boggled my mind. I couldn't figure it out until I eventually just said, okay, well, that's why. That's why everything I planned, and there were like three or four things that I tried, and I just said, that night's a bust. Like, we have to move it to a different night. But it's those little things to check that ego side and be like, they just hate me, or and, and say, this is not about me. Let me, you know, get that perspective. Because once, when ego comes in the way, you're going to have a lot more failure if you let ego kind of trump well, logic, I guess. And you said you said something there that I really resonated with, and... I'm going to hijack your notes um, and take the next question in a way that you didn't expect me to. Or maybe you did, in which case I'm not hijacking at all. But you said, you know, you have to remember that it's bigger than yourself. I think one of the things is not just responding to our own failures, but responding appropriately to the failures of others. Um, and, and, and remembering that it's more than just about us. Um, there was a time, this isn't even that big of a deal. There was a time I was sitting in a business meeting with one of my churches, and I messed up a procedural thing. One of my church members calls me later, and she said, and she tells me like, "Hey, you did this wrong." Which actually, I found out it wasn't wrong at all, but it's fine. Yeah, uh huh. You know, let's let it be. I said, it "Okay." At the, yeah. at the time, I just I owned it, and I said, "Hey, you're right. Uh, I didn't realize that. I'm sorry. I'll make sure it doesn't happen again." Yada yada. Well, ever since that day, two years ago, or almost two, a year, probably a year and a half ago, closer to, um, she now this same member um, kind of polices me on procedure during meetings. And it's one of those things where she's looking for the, she doesn't trust me anymore from that one failure. Now she doesn't trust me. And now she's looking for the times that I mess up. And it, it makes me feel like, well, a, I mean, I know she doesn't trust me in that respect, but B um, it makes me feel like she's only looking for the moments that I fail. So she can call me out on them again, instead of looking for the ways in which I'm doing well, so she can encourage um, as a pastor, one of the things you hear way more than anything else is all the times you fail. You never really hear about the times that you do well. Both of my churches, one of them I actually yeah, found out just by accident, didn't even know Pastor Appreciation Day was a thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, so, like, but you don't get appreciated yeah. a lot, but your failures get called out all the time. You, you do uh, in certain things, certain very yeah, yeah, public yeah, yeah. things. So, like, a good sermon yeah. or if you do, like, some very public things, but those are, like... Two percent, and those are the easy things, like the hard. Yeah, those are the stuff, obvious things. The stuff that you really want someone coming up to you and being like, "That was amazing." You don't get that. 
you know, like nobody comes yeah. up and it's like, you really handled that board meeting. Well, like nobody talks about yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, and that, and, and that's hard cause it can be discouraging because yeah, then course. you feel like everyone's yeah. out to get you. So I think it's important too, when we're responding to the failures of others to remember that it's more than just about us and how can we help build someone else up out of failure? Um, and it, for, you know, there's, there's other times where people have come to me and they've said, Hey, I really want to meet this goal for myself. Um, can you help me by pointing out when I do fail? That's different because they've given me express permission then to hold them accountable and to look for those moments. But that also means that I'm looking for the times that they do really well. So I can go back to them and say, Hey, look, today you did a fantastic job in this. Really proud of you. Keep up the great work. And the next time say, Hey, look, I noticed and you know, you're doing well and, but don't worry. Like I want you to know exactly how it happens so that we can address it. We can learn from it and we can do better next time. Um, it's a much different attitude when you're trying to build someone up rather than police their behavior and tear them down when they fail. Um, so that you can make yourself look better for knowing, knowing more than them in whatever area. It's just frustrating. Like it is. Um, I'm okay with being called out when I'm wrong. I'm not okay with being torn down when I'm wrong. Um, and I'm not a fan of tearing anyone else down when they do something wrong either. Um, I'm afraid of, I mean, I'm a fan of difficult conversations when they need to happen, but I'm not a fan of tearing someone down because they didn't meet the expectations that I may have set for them. No, I think that's huge. And I, I really think that's a biblical for the, for the, you know, for the believers in our, that listen, you know, that's a really biblical concept, um, of that support versus the negativity, the positivity, um, Always consider others like, better than yourself. Yeah, like so, in every so circumstance, that, build like, each other um, up. Yeah. When we talk about, I'm trying to find it right now. It's in Ephesians somewhere. Um, <laughs> it's this idea of I, it's Ephesians five. I want to say somewhere, but anyway, the point is, um, or maybe it's not Ephesians four or whatever. It doesn't matter. Point being, um, like at one point, Paul is talking about all these different gifts that are given to the church, and he goes, "These are given to uh, encourage and edify the church." I think it is Ephesians four. And um, when you listen to those two things, what's interesting about those two is it's not um, – you don't encourage and edify in success. You encourage and edify usually associated with failure, right? You encourage somebody when they're in the midst of the struggle. Um, yep. And you edify – you build someone up when they are down. Now, when you, do, you don't edify somebody when they've already built the building. To edify literally means to build up, like edifice. And I go, you don't build somebody up when they're completed, but we want to do that in the church. Like we want to encourage someone to talk about success when somebody has totally, you know, figured it out and come to Jesus and have their baptism. That's when we want to hold them up and be like, see how amazing this is. But not when somebody's struggling with something and, and we're like, no, man, this is awesome. Thank you for being so real and vulnerable and, and honest with us. And we are here to encourage you and build you up. Um, like when someone fails, it's almost like we we forget that that's when we're supposed to kick in as as people, um, yeah, as church members, as Christians, and it's a real struggle for me um, that that's the culture that we build that we have built. Um, so that's my I, I think that's kind of the kind of final question. Like, how do we change that culture? How do we build that up um, to where it's no longer one of negativity, but one of positivity? And I think you kind of already answered that with, you know, we have to be the ones to see um, failures and responses. 
But like, what are some things that like as listeners, because you and I, it's different for us. Like I'm in a ministry aspect right now, even though I'm learning, you're in a ministry aspect. Let's say for somebody who's listening, who is not directly involved in a ministry, how do, how do, how do they change this, this culture of fear of failure? Do better. Yeah, that's a good um, point. That's a really good point. Just, just get good. That's just uh, that's listen a, to back. Listen video to game this advice podcast. Is, is is get better. Yeah, it's become a patron. Gotta, uh, <laughs> donate at least ten dollars, and you will be contributing to we creating share a culture. Our that special values. recipe of successes with you for just a low rate, thirty five dollars a <laughs> no, month. Um, I um. I really think, and this is actually one of the reasons I started this podcast, um, culture changes based on individuals and things catching on and spreading, right? So um, I I, I really do think it starts with an individual and to say, I'm going to do everything in my life um, to change this culture in my interactions with people, and uh, hopefully it will influence them, uh, influence others in my life as well. So I think that the, the greatest thing that we can start doing is looking at ourselves and to say, all right. In what ways am I holding people's failures against them and not building them up? Um, in what ways have I done that already? In what ways am I doing that right now? And who can I apologize to even um, for having done that done them wrong in that way? Um, I think the second thing we can do is decide. Um, we talked about this last week as well, that boundaries are set in advance. I think your response to failure also needs to be set in advance. You need to decide ahead of time when failure comes, this is how we are going to respond, or this is how I am going to respond. Whether it's if my girlfriend fails, if my boyfriend fails, if my wife or husband fails, if my church fails, if my pastor fails, if my Bible study fails, if school fails, you know, whatever it is, when I fail in this area, this is what I will do, and these are the steps I will take. What does failure look like for you? Um, almost kind of like a lifestyle of failure, <laughs> um, a lifestyle in failure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because otherwise you're caught blindsided. Like for me, um, I retreat hard into music and into noise and into sound um, because I, when I fail or when I feel like I failed, I, um, I'm one of those people that, that has tied success kind of to my self-worth because I haven't had enough of it coming from the right spot. And so when I do fail, I try to stay out of my own head because I know it's a, it's a bad place for me to be. And I drown it out with music. The problem is the music that I'm only in the mood to listen to when I'm in that mood um, is all music that would make then would would amplify the problem and make yeah, me feel worse. Gonna, you're not going to pick like, so listen to Jack Johnson and Kareem yeah, Bailey it's, Ray it's, and happy music. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be all sad and, and dreary music. Um, and, and, and that's hard. Um, I think sometimes it's, there's a place for that. Don't get me wrong. But um, it's just... Um, so I know ahead of time that that's how I react. And if I don't say, okay, when this happens, I'm going to start running. Um, I'm going to make sure I get out of bed in the morning. I'm going to make sure I call so-and-so once a day and, and, and hash this out. Um, you know, my friend and, and, and vent about it or I, whatever that looks like. What is your, what is your lifestyle of failure? What does that look like? Um, who are you when everything falls apart? Um, because I think, and who are you when someone else falls apart? Um, you know, sometimes I wish we would treat ourselves the way that we treat our friends um, or those closest to us. Because, man, mm. I would fly mm. across the country in a heartbeat to take care of someone that needed it. Yeah. Um, I've watched it. I, a close friend of mine, I gave, I, I gave a lot of money to last year um, to, help, to help them out. And, uh, but I don't value myself that way. 
nor do I feel like I could accept that from someone else. And, and so I, I wish we could value ourselves the way we value the people we love. Um, and I wish we could value ourselves the way that they value us. Um, and I don't mean that to be um, like, like boastful. I don't mean that to say I wish we would think that we're hot stuff. I just wish we would have a healthy sense of who we are. Because if we have a healthy sense of who we are and our identity, whether it's in Christ um, or our identity just as human beings um, with value, inherent value in the fact that we exist, um, then I, um, then we, I don't think we can have an appropriate culture of, uh, that, that is around failure because ultimately we're afraid of living in that space. We're afraid of navigating that space because it's painful. It hurts and it shows us that, oh, wait, I'm not as perfect as I thought I was. Yeah, that's good. I, that's good because I ranted all of it. Yeah, like I, w- I was like <laughs> trying to be like, what can I add to this? Like I try really hard to listen instead of being like, oh, I'm gonna. But like, yeah, that, that was kind of. I I got nothing that answered it. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a really good point. You know, you you have to. I'm I'm just saying what you're gonna say and. <laughs> <laughs> like in my head, you're I'm like, repeat. he literally just said gonna... that. Uh, no, it's it's good. I'm gonna repeat. You're just gonna repeat I'm what gonna I said. Repeat what no, you said. I, I'd say I don't better. think I have it right. I and I I'm think being, it's a good, like, but it's, it's, speaking... it's the mentality's in the right place. Like I don't think we all have everything there, but I think that's the attitude that we need to have going forward. Um, yeah, that's how you change the culture. And, and again, like neither of us are experts, so who knows? We could be wrong. And I don't talk about that to preach at anyone. Like I'm sitting here trying not to get choked up as I talk about my own issues with yeah, self-worth oh yeah, sure. and, and loneliness and all that. Like, like I, I sit here and like, I have this lump in my throat while I'm talking about it and I can feel it behind my eyes. Like, like when it comes to the only thing that really makes me cry is thinking about me. Um, because I, cause I'm still working on that for myself. Yeah. And, um, so like, I'm definitely not talking about this from a place of superiority. Um, I'm talking about this from a place of someone who has been torn down when he's failed um, and from the place of someone who really struggles to live in failure and understand or live out of failure, um, and, and, and grow from it. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's hard. It's not easy. No, like it's it, hard. it sucks. It does. No, like I, I recently went through like a really bad, um, life, uh, period, uh, season, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I had to kind of do some real <laughs> reconstruction. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and and it's hard. It's hard taking a hard look at yourself. Uh, it's very difficult to to do that sometimes, and just to be aware and and really to strip yourself down to the essentials and say, I I'm okay with this. Like this is the person that I'm. I'm, you know, I am worth. Yeah. I am worth doing these things. I'm worth failure. I'm worth trying to fail or or accepting failure. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's hard, but I think that you can get a lot of growth from it. And I think, again, you, you kind of said it at the beginning, and I think that it's such a good point to kind of bring back around, which is if you don't learn from your lessons, that's the, really the only true failure that we get is is refusal to learn and move on. Um, yeah, Absolutely. Because if you learn, I mean, there's always some. It, even if it's a silver lining, it's still it's still a win. It's still yeah. a win, you know. Well, and I think there's one more thing I want to add in changing the culture, at least in our own lives. Surround yourself with people who value you for more than your successes yes. um, and your failures. That's the big thing. Uh, surround yourself with people who will stick by you in failure. Yeah. 
Um, you may already know who those people are, or you may um, need to go find them. But that's the big thing. Having a good support system is vital. There's a list of people, um, a short list of people, like less than five, that um, whenever something good happens, I call them. And whenever something bad happens, I call them. Um, and it's because um, I want them to know every part of my life. And, and, and they're, I've acknowledged that they're on that journey with me. And they do the same for the most part. Um, but surrounding yourself with people who will walk that journey with you is incredibly vital in my opinion. And, 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 um, and hold your feet to the fire when you don't learn from it, you know? Yeah. Um, that, yeah, that value, that, that's so huge. I mean, it's so huge to have that. I can't believe I almost forgot that. Yeah. To be no, honest. Like it, that's like the one thing that's carried me through the last two, three years. And I completely forgot it's just about a it. Really? Yeah, no. And, and yeah, that's legit. It's, it is legit. Um, those, you know, it, the, the pat answer, I think the cliche is, you know, the righteous man, you know, falls down seven times, but gets back up seven times. And the reality is we, we often do that in a, in an individualistic sense, like pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. But the reality is the majority of times I have gotten up, it's because I had somebody next to me either shouting in my ear or, you know, putting their, their hand and arm around my armpit and helping me yeah. lift up. Um, Absolutely. To say that whenever I have had success, it's been completely on my own. If nothing else, for me as a Christian, God has always been there. God has always been yeah. the one. So I was never alone. But the majority of time, he sent people into my life during those times to help lift me up. And, yeah, that's such a huge part, too, of changing that culture is getting people around you and saying, as a group, we are going to, you know, help lift each other up when we fall down, when we have those failures. Um, yep. I, I think it's a good place to wrap. <laughs> no, I, I do. I, we're both kind of like, it's hard because I think this got, I, I know this got heavy for me. Yeah. Um, and it's, it is hard for me to stay there on occasion when it gets that personal. Um, the need so to make I, humor joke. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, is, is like it. the need to be fight funny it. is, is yeah. Um, Look, what I will say is if you are someone who's afraid of failure, I hope you'll take some of the steps that we've outlined or maybe take some some steps to um, to conquer those fears. And, we, you know, um, if you want to write us right in and tell us about it, talk to us about it, or, or come on the show and talk with us a little bit about this topic, you're more than welcome Please to. Please do. Um, I was not expecting it to get where, to what, go where I it did went. not either. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of cool. So it just – it was yeah, yeah it was. Um, but we want to thank you so much for listening. Um, if you want to support this podcast – financially it would mean the world to us um specifically it would mean the world to me and my wallet uh patreon.com slash absurdity podcast and you can donate you can you can donate monthly from anywhere from a dollar up to i think i have it set to 20 or 50 dollars um it's like one dollar five two dollars five dollars ten dollars twenty dollars and fifty so if you want to help us out every dollar goes right back into this podcast and helping make it happen thank you so much for listening you can subscribe to us on itunes stitcher um, any podcatching app that you use. And if you do follow us on iTunes, leave a review. That would mean the world to us. Um, and if you have any feedback for the show, uh, comments, suggestions, questions, anything like that, um, you can tweet to us at Ryan180Becker is me. And Tony, what's yours? At Tony, T-O-N-Y underscore A-N-O-B-I-L-E. Or you can just look up the new Dr. Jones. And so all of that will be down in the show notes. So if you can just click it and it'll take you right to wherever you need to be. Um, also, you can find us online, theabsurdity.org on Facebook, facebook.com slash absurdity podcast. I'm pretty standard as much as I can be. 
Um, or you can email me, ryan180becker at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.